Hi there and welcome to Real Estate Renovators, the show designed to help real estate agents navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. Our focus through the next, I don't know, 10 episodes or however long Rex can put up with me, is to design a program that's there to help real estate agents build a successful business. Success, whatever that means for you. And in today's first episode, before I introduce my fellow co-hosts, one of them has got a slight drinking problem, uh, before I talk about these guys, I want to talk about, I'll give you a bit of a framework as how the show's going to go. I think the first thing is we want to have a bit of fun. And with your permission, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We don't necessarily take ourselves too seriously, but we take the work that we do real seriously. And to be honest, every now and then, I might use a bit of French. Now, I, I apologize for that. So if anyone is offended with the French, go fuck yourself. No, uh, only joking. That may get edited out. Uh, that was a bit harsh. I mean, it was early doors. I'm, I'm in it in, I'm just saying fire truck. I think they'll like it. Yeah, shut the front door, yeah. So today, our first ep, we're gonna talk about building a plan. Now, most business owners don't have a plan and those that do, well, their plan doesn't really work. And I, I like to glean certain aspects of various different industries and combine them together to get best practice across all businesses. And when I look at successful businesses, I reckon the ones that are most successful are run in a similar way to an elite sporting club. Now, if you take an elite sporting club, let's say, you know, I'm a Melbourneian and I love my Aussie rules footy and I'm an Essendon supporter, so I'm doing it pretty tough. So we'll keep that on the lowdown. But if you look at a successful AFL club, the one thing that they do across the board that is Mickey Mouse, is every single person who's part of that team is crystal clear on their game plan. And everyone knows their role in said game plan. So what we're gonna talk about today is having a one-page game plan, if you like. And if you look at the key elements of any business, it's all based on four key pillars. Your people, your processes, your customers, and they all dovetail into your financials. My name's Jason Cunningham. I'm the resident accountant, CPA, or also known as car parking attendant. Uh, that's gonna be my role, but let me introduce some of the, this country's finest and greatest. Now, as we know, every business is built on its foundation, which is its people. And I've got the number one recruiter in the country for real estate agents sitting right to my right, <laughs> Chanel from Titanium Recruitment. Hello, everyone. How are you doing, Chanel? I'm doing well, Jace. Yourself? Yeah, good. You still good. hungover or are you over that hangover? I'm, I'm over the hangover now. I've come, I've come good. Yeah, that's good to hear. Now, Next to Chanel is uh, what we all need in our corner, um, and that's a big Persian princess. No. <laughs> Prince, <laughs> king. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's Rex Shiabi, my lawyer from MA Legal. G'day, Rex. How you doing, pal? I'm very well, mate. You're looking very sharp, as always. <laughs> and to my left, when we want to grow a business and grow it successfully, we turn to our resident rehab uh, guru. Uh, no, he's not in rehab. He's out. He he's Pete. How are you, Pete? Good morning, everyone. Looking good, Pete. Uh, so today, we're, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about a plan. And I think how we're going to do this, and as I said, we're going to have a little bit of fun. And I'm going to bounce some questions off the guests here. Oh, should I guess? Where am I going? Host, I'm the guest. Um, I'm going to bounce a few things off them as to, you know, how do we run successful businesses and what does it need to look like? So Chanel, let me start with you. Mm, yep. As you know, I speak to a lot of my clients and they say the biggest challenge in business is finding and attracting key people. Yeah. In your experience, uh, how do we go about doing that? I mean, so I think what it begins with is you have to have the right business in place. You have to have a business that is attractive to high-performing talent. Mm -hmm. So we need to look at, firstly, you know, why would someone want to join that business? You know, what are the benefits of joining that business in comparison to the 10 other businesses that they could join? 
Um, so when we're looking at attracting talent, you know, people think, you know, you can just put it, put an ad on Seek and you're going to attract these, 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 all these talented people. Mm. It doesn't happen that way. Mm. You need to really start with a plan. Like who do you want to attract, um, the kind of caliber of candidate that you want, and then you need to go out and actively seek that talent. Okay, so let me challenge you on this, Chanel, only because you and I are, are good friends and um, we do a lot of work together. So I'm an accountant by trade, and as Pete will attest to, accountants, we hate spending money, mm. right? And so the first thing that comes to mind is I'm hearing a recruiter tell me, don't go out on seek, you've got to go through a recruiter. Why should I go through a recruiter? Because, you know, spending good money, question. it hurts me, right? That, that, that is true. Look, when you go on Seek, you know, for example, I'll post six or seven Seek ads a month, mm -hmm. for example, just so we can sort of build brand and get, get, get our name out there. The candidates that we have applying to Seek consistently could be candidates that we know have criminal records, have jumped agency to agency, haven't put it on their resume, um, you know, candidates that uh, are actively applying to Seek consistently that agencies might be thinking are great applicants, could be applicants that they don't actually know the background of. So when it comes to, I guess, the fee you need to pay, there's a lot that sort of goes into that process. As recruiters, we don't put an ad on Seek, get a candidate and send them to a client. We are headhunting, we're attracting the best candidates, we're pitching businesses to candidates, we're whining and dining candidates. So there's a lot of sort of background work that goes into attracting the right talent to a business. You said Chanel, um, <coughs> which I found quite intriguing, it's creating an environment that's attractive mm. for key people. Uh, to come and join your firm or your your business. W what sort of things can you do? I mean, I know when I first started uh, my job, my first job was in 1993 and I did what my boss told me to do when, when he told me to do it. And I mean, I remember every Friday I used to wash his car, you know? No. Now, I know today, fast forward today, 2020, I don't think we're gonna be getting our employees to wash our cars. And I know the landscape has changed a fair bit. Yeah. What are some of the things that are attractive to candidates that we could start to design our businesses so we could get some of these key people into our businesses? That's a really good question. I mean, it really comes down to which aspect of real estate we're looking at. So there's the property management team, your sales team, and then you've got your administrative team. So each aspect of real estate are attracted to sort of different different things. So when we're looking at property managers, I guess what they're looking for right now is work-life balance. So they want to join a business where they've got a bit of flexibility to, you know, work from home, um, work from the office, a good culture, good environment. When we say good culture, I mean, that's just a word that I think gets thrown around. When, it, when we're looking at businesses that, I guess, have a really, really strong working culture, they're hiring people that fit a, a the environment of their business. They're not just hiring John, Ben, Sam, Sally and putting them all in one place. They're finding people that match the vision of the business, personality, um, whether that be a certain age demographic. You know what I mean? Like you've got yeah. to find people that are like, okay, these people will want to work together and they'll bring out the best in each other. One, one thing I've heard Chanel being uh, bandied around a number of times is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And 100%. I, and I, I think yeah. you're saying, you know, hire the right person that fits your culture. Uh, absolutely. Rex, um, you know, one would argue this country's finest lawyer. <laughs> um, I would argue that. Yeah, yeah, you and your mum. But uh, <laughs> so other than those two, no, when we... You know, one of the big fears for a business owner, so let's say we take Chanel's uh, view, Pete, and we, we run off and we recruit the best, right? And then we start to build a business around that person and they get their clientele, they get their name out and they get their brand out. One of the big fears is what happens when that person leaves? 
you can impose restraint of trade provisions into your employment contracts. Mm. Now, restraint of trade provisions are generally not acceptable by courts. They're they're against public policy. If you um, restrict an employee from working, they can't work in their chosen profession, their experience, so they have to go on social welfare benefits. By doing so, it's against public policy. Mm. The courts take that view. To negate around that, your restraint at the time they sign the agreement has to be reasonable. Um, so it has to be enough just to protect the business, not to restrict the person. So there's ways to go around that by just being the clientele that the employee, um, the clientele, the employer that can't contact them, mm-hmm. to also make it more enforceable on an em- on an employee. Um, so there's one part to say you breach your restraint, you can't do this, mm-hmm. and then to go to court and enforce that is a whole different. Mm-hmm. Um, to, you can the court may re- determine yes, David. They've breached it, but then to determine what's the damage to the business opens up a whole can of worms. So, Rex, would your argument be, and I mean, I've been using you as our uh, lawyer for five or six years now. Would you the argue? The best five or six years you've had. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> no, no, he's a good man, Rex. The drug affliction we just sort of put aside. No, no, I mean, no, you. Yeah, no, no, yeah, honestly, Rex, no, you are a good man. Thank you. Uh, but one would argue that none of us really want to go to court. So no. the, the document really is sort of a bit of a fear, scare tactic or... You can, so what I was getting to is with the document itself, you can put agreed damages with the employer or employee uh-huh. saying, if you breach these provisions, which are fair and reasonable, you agree to pay me X dollars per client you've stolen. So, so let's just say I've got a, a property manager running my rent roll or yep. you know, or, or a section of my rent roll. I can put a, a restriction on that and if that person does go and does take my landlords or a portion of my landlords, I can have an agreed buyout. Agreed buyout of like what's market value of three to 4% per property management taken. And what about like with the sales agents or the listing agents? What, what can I have like a, an area where they, you know, let's say for example, my uh, my business is in Hawthorne in yep. Melbourne. Uh, can I just restrict them to a 5K area? What can I do there? Uh, you can restrict them to a kilometres um, as well as clients that they've targeted and marketed to and worked with whilst with your, within your firm. Mm. And then also have an agreed damages provision whereby if the agent was getting 40% of the commission, they agree to pay 60% if they've taken that client. Right, okay. Which is what they would have had if they was, remained employed with you. So let's say, for example, you've got the contract in place, you've signed it, they've signed it, everybody's happy, and they go, jam you for a game of soldiers. What's the next step? We go to court, is it? We go to court and we do this, unfortunately, any one time, we've got three or four of these matters happening with real estate agents, and we've been quite successful in all of them. Is it expensive? Uh, it's not that expensive. If you've got the right people who've done this so many times, we've got all the precedents. So we charge per time, so if we've got it already there, it's less time involved. Can I just ask a really quick question here? So this is something that comes up a lot with my clients. Yeah. If, say, there's a property manager who's joined a new business and then all of a sudden, you know, their old director's calling this new director saying she's stealing she's stealing landlords. How do they prove that? How do they prove that she this a property manager has taken business or if the business has followed her to a new agency? Or the same with sales agents. How that's, is it proven? That's on the old business. So the uh, old business needs to look at how they've done it. So if... If it was your client and one of your property managers left, it depends on their initial employment contract. If they had restraints in there that you can't contact any of our clients, mm. it's quite simple to prove if they've contacted a client Got or you. not. Uh, and you can subpoena clients, you can contact clients to find out. Got you, okay. But let's just say one would argue, and Pete, I think you'll attest to this, one would argue that 
you know, when we hire somebody, we want them to stay for as long as we can get them to stay. And so as part, just touching on what Chanel said earlier, Pete, about building and creating an environment that's not only attractive enough so that key people want to come and join our organisation, but adhesive enough to hold on to them. What, in your experience, what sort of makes a good culture and a harmonious workforce so that, because I mean, to address the elephant in the room, um, don't look at me that way. <laughs> <laughs> now, to, to address the elephant in the room, um, you know, the real estate industry is quite cutthroat and, and it happens actually in individual offices as mm. well. What are some of the strategies, Pete, that you can put in place to create that harmonious environment where people work together and want to enjoy the culture and want to stay there for the longer term so we don't have to get Uncle Rexy here to enforce proceedings? I think if you're looking at a plan for a business, it all starts from a vision. Um, you need to start with the end in mind. Uh, once you've got that vision in place, then you can actually attract people from other industries or from other agencies because you have a vision and a clarity of where you're going. So once you've got that vision set, and, and I think you touched on it before, Chanel, um, you see a lot of agencies that have that clarity of where they're going attract talent in preparation for where they're going. So almost they're actually giving a career path to people, which is something that we see very, very rarely in many agencies before they come to us. With having a career path, it gives people, a, a, I suppose, a point of where they're going in their career. And, and certainly in property management, um, it's, it's extremely lacking as an industry. So career paths would be probably one of the biggest areas that we find that can be improved upon if you're executing a plan. So Pete, can I just talk to you about that? Um, can you give us some specific examples of some visions without you know, mentioning the brand or the business, just what a vision should look like that, you know, that does encompass things like career planner. I mean, how, how specific do you have to get? Oh, look, a vision is as simple as, you know, if you're renovating a house, you, you, you don't build it in parts. You start to start with the end of mind, right? So, you know, if you're going to spend half a million dollars fixing, you know, a bungalow and you're going to put a second story on, you know that you're going to put a second story on it, right? Yeah. So with a vision, it's it's where you want to end up, and and how does it look like when you where you when you arrive there, you know. And second to vision is obviously then culture, you know. And culture is banded around as 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 you said, Chanel. You know, culture. We have great culture, but culture needs to be supported with um, behaviours, you know. So what are those behaviours? And let's go back to you know, if we're renovating a house, we need a plan, we need a blueprint so that everyone's on the same page. So when all the workers turn up to that house, everyone knows what the end result looks like, right? They know it's going to have a second story that we've got to put foundations in it, blah, 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 blah. But behaviours is how you act at the workplace, how we treat each other, and that's culture. You know, it's something that it's like a garden. It's, you know, needs to be tended all the time, otherwise the flowers don't produce, you know? Well, one of the things we did in our business, uh, you know, we, this is coming up to our 23rd year in business, Pete, and, uh, and when we first started, there was just two of us, um, Rob and I. We're two mates from primary school who went to high school and went to university together. So we, the whole way through, we went our separate ways, we came back and we started a business on December 1997. And our behaviours and our culture were pretty easy because we're two mates that knew each other since we were five. We both loved footy, we're both guys and you know, all the things that guys love and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, but as our business grew, we found that having specific uh, behaviours that have been articulated across mm. our team, we found that to be really important. And, and we put together these things called uh, our guiding principles. And our guiding principles, we've got eight of them. And, and I reckon it's one of the things over the last five years that's really helped us you know, work together as a team because, as I said, there's 60 of us now. Um, and so our guiding principles are, firstly, we presume best intention. Second, we seek first to understand another person before I expect him or her to understand me. We allow each other to focus on our strengths and operate in our genius. Um, but we're still finding one for me. Uh, <laughs> and we make each other look good. They're the first four guiding principles. And if you look at that, you put that into play, right? So we've got a, you know, accounting uh, a practice that provides financial planning, wealth management and lending advisory services to our clients. And so if you put this into practice, I'll give you an example. Let's say Rex, who's a, a good friend of our firm and a, a great referrer, Let's say he, I refer him on to my financial planning team and, um, and he sends an email and doesn't get a response and Rex rings me up and says, Jace, I've been a loyal client of yours for seven years now, I've been referring you so much work. What the hell's going on with these financial planners? Don't they get it that they need to be proactive? Don't they know who I am? And I could react and go, what the fire truck? You know, <laughs> I'll go around there, I'll kick their ass and don't worry, Rex, I'll fix it for you by the end of the day. Or I could glance at my guiding principles, Chanel. And I can remember that first I presume best intention, seek first to understand, make my guys look good and allow them to operate in their genius. And I, the better response would be, Rex, mate, you are. You're a great client of our firm and we are very proactive in our space. Maybe Matt didn't get the email. Maybe there's something going on in his world. I don't know. Mm. But I'll check with him and I know this guy's one of the best financial planners in the country. He'll get back to you by the end of the day and make sure it's sorted. And you can see that, I mean, it's easy to say when things are going well, Pete, and it's all harmonious, we're 10 goals up and we're patting each other on the back, it's great. It's when the proverbial hits the mm. fan that we've got to remember these guiding principles. <clears throat> the next layer of guiding principles in our organisation, we take it to the next step and it talks about the broader community. So we believe in authenticity, uh, you know, authentic success as opposed to perceived success. We believe in creating an environment where there's true collaboration and when there's true collaboration, then there's synergy. And when we get true synergy, the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. And we believe in this phrase called Ubuntu. It's a, it's a word from South Africa. I like using it because no one knows what it means. Mm. Uh, and to be honest with you, I don't either. I just, no, no, no <laughs> Ubuntu, uh, Ubuntu is a philosophy that dates from South Africa that was made famous in 1990 when Nelson Mandela was released from prison and it marked the end of apartheid. Apartheid means we are separate, black and white man. Ubuntu means we are one. My humanity is born in your humanity. My happiness exists in the big man's happiness. When you're happy, I'm happy. When you're sad, I'm sad. And so together as a collective, mm. we believe in this Ubuntu philosophy, which I, I reckon that's pretty cool. So I, I think part of creating an effective and efficient, fun culture is to talk about behaviours and what's acceptable and what's not. And I think as Pete was alluding to, and actually you did it, Chanel, Every business is different. You got, mm. We've got real estate businesses that are just, just focused on the PN component, you know, and a boutique property managers. Mm. Um, we've got businesses that have got a hybrid of, you know, sales and PM. We've got big businesses, small businesses, those that are part of a franchise. So I think it's important to, to design it that suits you and your business. Yeah, absolutely. It's it really like, I mean, if I was to look at all of my, all of the clients that I work with or all real estate businesses, they've all got principles or guiding principles that, that create their culture. But I think that the businesses that are truly successful are the ones that 
actually live by that culture and it stems from the top. I think coach is a bit of a, like, it's a bit of a bullshit word that gets thrown around a lot. And mm. even in my recruiting sometimes, you know, great work culture, great working environment. But I think what it comes down to is are the leaders of the business, did they actually take time to prepare those guiding principles? Are they living by them? You know, does it, you know, are their team following them? Because it stems from the top and, mm. and I see it all the time, you know, if it's a business of high performance, you know, there's a high performing team. If there's directors that, you know, kind of pop in and out but don't really oversee the team, you know, you can see the turnover or directors that don't understand the property management division. Then mm. they've always got turnover in their mm. business. So these guiding principles or these, these culture, you know, they need to really stand up and, you know, not just have, I don't know, it sounds like, Living great. like don't just say, oh, we, we stand by this actually follow through with it. You know, mm. Do you have, you know, uh, team bonding events or team bonding nights? Like, mm. don't say you do, do it. You know, mm. do do a, you know, dress up night with your team and make them feel like they're part of something that's bigger or reward and recognition. Like, it's so critically important when it comes to not just hiring but and retaining, but keeping sort of like a long-standing, high-performing team in mm. place. I've been to some of Rex's dress up nights and let me tell you, uh, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, truth hurts. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Can I add to that? Mm. Um, with my culture, and we've got very similar principles to your mm. firm because mm. I copied your principles <laughs> a while ago with the engagement stuff. Um, but I think, and what Chanel said, the culture is so important mm. and it is led from the above, but I yeah. feel like you need engagement from every single person yeah. in your team. They need to know what the culture is and they mm. need to have input into that culture True. to feel that it's part of their own culture. Yeah. It's easy to say you need to act this way, but if they've got that feedback and engagement, I feel like they're invested in it and it feels like mm. it's their culture as True. well yeah. and it runs through and I've been so fortunate to have so many good people in my organization that have been with me for seven plus years a lot of them too and it's because they're engaged mm. um, so they input into that culture that's so true yeah. one, one of the things that Pete talks about which um, I'm really on the same page with him as well on this piece is that often in the one business there's a different culture that exists in the sales part of the business, yeah. as opposed to the rent roll or the PM part of the business. And and sometimes, you know, unfortunately, I mean, again, I use the phrase or coin the phrase, address the elephant in the room, but, you know, sometimes, you know, the people running the PM business are looked down upon. Mm -hmm. When in actual fact, from a valuation uh, perspective, Pete, it's the most valuable part of the business. Have you, you know, I, I know the answer to this question, but can you share with us, um, you know, some of your experiences on how to, create a, a culture that's, I, I guess, across the board and it is not, you know, diverse in the different areas of the, of the organisation? When formulating culture or, or the behaviours, everyone needs to have a part in that decision-making process. It can't come from the top down. Uh, that's where it fails. Culture and, and the behaviours are actually developed as a business and that business is everyone from like the receptionist, the part-time receptionist, right through the directors. Everyone has to have an involvement in actually creating those behaviours, okay? Once you have that buy-in, it's, and, and JC said, spoke about this earlier, you know, it's not a document or the strategic document is not something that actually gets put in a drawer. It's something that's a living document and needs to be reminded. So at your meetings, you know, talk about what the behaviours are and celebrate examples of that, you know. So if, you know, a salesperson, you know, took a PM to a listing presentation and gave an appraisal at the, at the listing presentation to give the seller an option, or, hey, 
Mr. You know, seller, you know, if you decide not to sell, you might want to rent because it's $1,100 a week. You know, those things that, uh, you know, if, if you have a culture of care, um, you know, inclusion and, you know, having each other's back, you know. Um, so they're just some quick little ways to actually keep it alive. And, you know, I go back to that analogy of a garden, you know, culture is something you need to keep on nurturing um, and having it brought up in meetings, celebrating wins are just a few ways to actually keep it alive. Yeah. And, and this is why, again, as Pete said, you know, it's got to be, there's got to be full buy-in across the team. And, and again, I go back to my analogy with elite sporting teams. And I, again, I'll, I'll pinch the AFL. One of the things that the AFL do really well is they had their leadership team, the leadership group. And if you're, inter- if you're into reading books, um, you know, uh, there's a great book called Legacy. Uh, and it's written uh, about the New Zealand All Blacks. And um, it, it's, it's an amazing book. Um, and um, it, it talks about the secret ingredient that exists um, with the All Blacks. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about the All Blacks. It's a New Zealand rugby union uh, side. And argu- not arguably, in actual fact, they're the world's most successful sporting team. Now, the stats I might get a bit wrong, but as an, account, you know, as an accountant, we can say stats and it's true. But they, they, every time they take the field, they win approximately 86% of the time. So 86% of the time when they play, they win, right? And 14% they either draw or they lose. And the thing about the All Blacks, what makes them so successful is this concept around legacy. And with legacy, what, the, the piece around being what it means to be an All Black, the humility associated with it. One of the things that they do is when they get the jumper, it's given by, you know, number 11 gives it to you, you're the new number 11, and you're responsible to leave the jumper in a better position than when you inherited it, right? And one of the things that the All Blacks do is they do this thing called sweep the sheds, right? It's really cool stuff, right? So 86% of the time, the All Blacks, they'll play a game of rugby, they, they come off the field, they win, they get in a circle, they sing their song, they get all excited, they drink a beer and do all that sort of stuff, get a rub down. Rex probably spends a bit longer on the rub down table than most. Uh, you know, a bit of ice, all that sort of stuff. And then the captain gets up and declares everybody out of the sheds. And every player sweeps the sheds and cleans up after them. They pick up the tape, they pick up the boots, uh, they shower and they clean the sheds within an inch of its life. Now, you look at other sporting cultures and other sporting clubs where, you know, I, I remember when I used to play footy, we'd take the tape off and throw it at each other and you leave all the crap there and you let the trainer pick up. But not an All Black because it's an honour to be an All Black. And no one, and their theory is no one looks after an All Black like an All Black. So they had the humility. And so their culture is brought in across the whole team, is all about humility and it's an honour to wear the All Black jersey. One of the things that we did in our business is we thought, because Pete made a real good point. It, it's, it does start at the top, Chanel, I agree with you, but it needs to have full buy-in. Mm. So we, uh, every year, we get our team to select our ELT, our Emerging Leaders Team. And so it's across the board, and it's who are the emerging leaders within the organisation, not just the partners, not just the managers, not just the senior dudes, whatever. Who are the leaders in the organisation? And we get them to help dovetail and roll out the culture across our business. Now... If you look at the elite sporting team, the All Blacks do it. Um, you know, the Sydney Swans uh, pinched a lot of stuff from the All Blacks. If a player mucks up and goes against the behaviours, they front the leadership team. So not the coach, not the chairman of selectors, not whoever, 
they face and they front up to their peers. And there's nothing worse, than, you know, especially if you're a New Zealand rugby player, you know, six foot 10, 150 kilo, you know, running back. <laughs> yeah, okay, I won't do that again. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's a really good way to instill the culture across the team by mm. not just having one voice, but getting the people across the across the organisation to sing the same tune, if you like. Mm. Jace, if I could just jump in quickly. Um, you, you bring up a, a really good point, is that, you know, behaviours and culture um, are, are also celebrated on, on one side, but they can also be used as, as somewhat of a guide in disciplinary action as well. You know, mm. so, you know, if you do have issues with team members that don't actually, I suppose, give examples or sort of buy into that culture, actually talking about that in, in your one-on-ones, you know, as a way of, you know, I'm saying disciplinary, but it's also just about, hey, you know, come on, like join, join us, be with us, you know, and, and these are the examples where you didn't, you know. So if you do have those behaviourals and examples of them and where they haven't met them or haven't kept to them, you know, so it can actually keep your team on point, right, and actually on that same cadence and going to that same goal that everyone's going to. Pete, just two things. One, cadence. That's a cracking word, by the way. Uh, thanks very much for that gift. Uh, the, the, the second is it, it talks also to, you know, that um, uh, the perennial problem of your number one sales person, right, who's yeah. kicking ass, listing everything, making the big comms, but is toxic for the rest of the organisation. And it's that conundrum that exists. Do I pull this guy or this girl up mm. and, you know, and tip her, I can't, she's writing so much business, she's the number one selling agent, you know. But ten gorilla. Sorry, mate? Ten ton gorilla. You know, we see them in all businesses. Mm. And generally speaking, is that they actually stifle your new talent. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they've been there for such a long time and hold such a, I suppose, respected position because mm. of revenue. But actually, you know, if you're talking about growing a business, um, those are the conversations and the hardest decisions as a leader mm. to address those big 10-ton gorillas mm. in your business. Mm. You know, so, you know, what do you do? You know, from a financial sense, you know, from an accounting point of view, Jace, you probably go, oh, my God, you know, that's 15% of the revenue. But they're actually, you know, putting a lid on your growth and they're actually stopping you know, new blood and the future of your business. Because, you know, in, in every plan, and we're talking about a plan, is that, you know, you have a goal of where you want the business to go, right? You also need to understand what people you need in the future. And those 10-ton gorillas are actually stopping those people being your future, you know? So, you know, even myself in my own business, I've had to have those conversations and they are scary as an owner because they are, they are income earners that you depend on, right? So, you know, I, I just, I suppose, would encourage people to keep culture alive as a way to actually keep those 10-ton gorillas under maybe, control. Pete, maybe one of the ways that we could do that um, is when we have our, you know, performance appraisal process, and I know you're big in this area, Chanel, um, is rather than just having the metrics which are around the numbers piece, you know, yeah, this many exactly. sales, this many listings and all that sort of stuff, mm. have a piece that covers off the cultural behaviours that we expect our team to exhibit. I know, again, I, I keep, uh, you know, grasping onto the footy because, you know, a Malburnian and 
um, and I love it. But the Sydney Swans Footy Club, they have, um, and it's very well publicised, they have a no dickheads policy, right? Uh, and so um, even if you, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And, and you actually find that players that are mucking up, um, uh, you know, at other clubs in Melbourne will go to Sydney and really get whacked behind the ears and actually create more longevity in their careers because there's, they, they're brought back down to earth, you know? And that's, I mean, Sydney got that benefit that it's not, you know, the home of AFL where it is more popular in Melbourne. So, you know, big name AFL footballers can walk the streets in Sydney and not really get recognised. But um, I just think that no dickheads policy, I, I think it's important because, you know, the accountant in me, Pete, you know, I'm looking at the numbers that, uh, you know, my number one sales person, what she's writing, and I go, well, that's awesome because we're splitting the comms and that's really good. But you can't actually really measure the damage that gets done to the team, Rex, you know what I mean? I think it's, it was, oh, sorry, you go, Rex. It hinders your growth. You're compromising your, your integrity and your firm's culture for sales. Mm. And in the long term, it's going to look bad for you. Yeah. It's not going to end well. So I think you need to, what Pete said, um, you know, contain your 10-ton ten gorilla mm. as soon as you can and have a no dickhead policy from mm. day one. Yeah, yeah. I think as well, like, I mean, from... I interview candidates all day, every day. It's what, mm. it's what we do. The number one reason talent, particularly in real estate, leaves an office is because of bad culture. And I don't know what it is about real estate, but it is, it's renowned for the negative, toxic, toxic working environment. And this is across, you know, multiple brands, multiple businesses that we recruit for. And I think it is, you're under such high pressure. It's a high performance business. And, you know, there, there's, you know, I've got clients now that I work with that have no, uh, a no drug policy culture mm. and that's across the board and mm. they're drug tested because they, they wanted to nip that in the bud, that big gorilla syndrome, that, mm. you know, high performance, that ego, that arrogance. And if I look at that business in particular, they're a team of 45 in sales now. Wow. Um, so they're a huge team. Um, they're not in Melbourne. So I think people are trying to draw the dots there. Mm. Um, but, you know, you've got to look at your culture and where, you know, you're finding these toxic people. If you don't fix if you don't fix it, people will leave the business and real estate, the real estate industry, it's such a small industry mm. and everyone knows everyone. So as soon as someone knows that this business has really high turnover, a really bad culture, everyone knows. So we'll interview someone for a role. I won't work there. I've heard about their working environment and culture. So it spreads like wildfire and it destroys not just like the, the, the growth of the business like straight away, but the long-term sort of reputation of a business. Chanel, can you tell me, so I'm interested to hear from you because you are on the ground and you're talking to the candidates all the time. Yeah. And you said uh, earlier, you know, um, they've left, the number one reason why they leave other firms or other businesses is because of a bad culture or a toxic culture. Correct. Can you tell me, a person who's not a real estate agent, mm. um, can you tell me what is, what, what, what are these examples of bad culture? It's a really good question. I mean, a lot of it will come from rentals, so property managers. And I think what that comes down to is they have a lack of training. Um, directors aren't in the office, so they've got no one to, to sort of go to when they need help. Um, and then issues sort of escalate within their portfolio and they've got no one to talk to and they've got no one to sort of go to. And then if they ask for help, the other property managers in the division don't have time to help them. Okay, let me challenge you if yeah. I can, right? So I heard one of the challenges is that the directors aren't in the office and so they've yeah. got no one to turn to. So In rentals, in yeah. rentals in particular. So I would then say, the, from, in my mind's eye, if I wanted to grow my business, the directors should get out of the office and should go out and grow and get listings and meet new uh, vendors and all that sort of stuff. 
So for me, that sort of flies in the face, and I'm saying this respectfully, okay? No, no, so you get a, flying in the face of trying to grow a business because if I'm just sitting behind my desk, how can I grow my business? So you need to hire a head of department. You need to hire the right management to then oversee the business. And I think a lot of a lot of real estate businesses will go, well, we don't need a head of department. It's an unnecessary cost. Well, the problem is, is that you've got this entire division of property management. Who do they go to? Mm. If you're, if you're as a director, you're out listing, selling, growing that sales team. You need someone overseeing that department and ensuring that that's running smoothly. Yeah, it makes sense. So, what about if I've got a small business? So there's uh, two listing agents, a couple of support team members, and a couple of people in PM. How do I justify? the hire for, for this person? Well, I think if you've got a really small division, then you need to give, you need to identify who in that property management division is your strongest performer. And then you need to give them the tools to oversee that department. So you make them a senior property manager or you give them the tools or the, the training and development to be able to, you know, um, unofficially run that department. So you need to look internal and then create an opportunity for someone in your team. We're going to finish up on people in a minute and, uh, pro- and finish this episode and um, but before we do, I just want to ask a couple of key questions from the captains of industry uh, that are in the other end. No, no, I'm <laughs> uh, No, I just want to ask you a couple of key questions, if I can, around getting the best out of our people, Pete. Um, I, I'm going to start with uh, Pete. Uh, no, but I want to start with you, Chanel, if that's okay. I just sure. want to stir up our ship behind the camera there, just get him to do a bit of work. Um, <laughs> so I want to ask you some questions around um, performance reviews. Yeah. How often should I be doing them? Is there a formal process? What's industry best practice for me to be having conversations with my team members around their performance and, and moving to the next level? I think that the good business, like, not sorry, I shouldn't say good businesses. Most businesses will do a monthly performance catch up or meeting with their team, but then they also do weekly sales teams or weekly sales meetings or weekly rentals meetings. And that just allows them to sort of any issues that need to be escalated or open conversations, the teams come together, you know, they can talk about results. And then I think monthly performance management meetings where you can talk about culture, environment, how they're liaising with, you know, other members of the team as well as mm. their performance as well. So I would say monthly and then weekly for sort of team meetings. Yeah, cool. One of the things, look, I, I joke around with Rex, but I've known him for a long time. And, um, you know, if there's a thing I can tell you about Rex is you definitely want him on your side when you're going into a fight, right? Uh, because you've got to have a, a good lawyer that knows how to fight for you, but also backs it up with the precedents and the documents that they put together. But on the flip side, you know, you see him in action, and you go, shit, he's a bit scary. Uh, and he's pretty strong. And he was on the preacher curl before he got on here, like just flexing right up. But but on the flip side, as a leader within his organisation, one of Rex's greatest strengths that I see, we, we work in the same building, is Rex creates an environment where it's safe to be vulnerable. And and you're, you elicit feedback really well from your team members. Can you tell me, give some examples for people watching this show on, you know, how you run your business, albeit it's not a real estate practice, but you act for a I'm going to use a bit of French, a shit ton of real estate agents. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you, from a vulnerability perspective and solicit feedback from your team, how does that work for you? Uh, I'm vulnerable myself. So I'm very open, transparent. My team knows how I live my life. I don't hide it from us. I don't sugarcoat my life to them. Mm. So by me being vulnerable and then me being transparent and honest to them, they're back to me the same mm. way. Um, with my team, I have weekly meetings with them. Uh, we bring the team together. We have uh, monthly social events. 
not at the moment due to COVID, but we have month, mm. monthly social events and one-on-one -on -one we do it on a six-month basis. But with, with that monthly social events and weekly meetings, I know how everyone's gauged. I, see, I, I think that's a really important point that Rex has uh, raised there, Chanel, because uh, countless business owners I speak to go, this person resigned, they blindsided me. I, I didn't even know. Mm. I'm meeting them monthly, I'm having conversations with them, I'm taking them out for coffee, and I didn't even know she was going to leave. And this happened to me personally. A young girl uh, worked with me for 14 years. Um, and, and, you know, I had genuine feelings, like cared about this girl. And she started as a 20-year-old kid and she was going to be our first female partner in our business. And we were really excited. And then just towards Christmas last year, she said, Jay, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm like, what the fuck? Are you serious? I was devastated. I go, well, I can't believe you're leaving me, right? I thought we were friends. You know, I helped this girl with a CPA. I helped her buy her first home. I helped her kick out her boyfriend. It was no good. We, like, we, you know, she was part of the She'd come over and drink wine and, you know, with my wife and bag the shit out of me. No, but, you know, we, we had this great relationship. And when she left, she said, Jay, I didn't feel comfortable telling you because mm -hmm. I thought we've got this relationship where she could come to me and say, Jay, I'm going to leave. Mm. And then I had some conversations with Rex around creating this, it's safe to be vulnerable, it's mm. safe to make a mistake and all that sort of stuff. And I, I, I found I've changed my behaviour as a leader, loose term leader, in our business. Pete, before we finish up, and I'm going to leave it uh, with you if I can, around getting the best out of your team. And I know that you're big on um, making sure that... Um, you know, your best is not my best. You know, you're big on, you know, allowing people to be the very best that they can be. And I, 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 a good friend of mine is a guy called Cameron Schwab, who I did a podcast, some would say life-changing podcast with yeah. uh, a few weeks back. And he spoke about, um, and you and I had this conversation off air, about the importance of uh, not building the child for the path, but rather creating a path for the child. Can you share with us your thoughts on that and, and how you get the best out of your people and, and the work you do with some of the real estate agents you work with? I think you're actually genuinely caring about what someone wants to achieve. And, and you're right, not everyone wants to be, you know, what we want them to be. Some people actually want to get to this point and actually, you know, coast. And as a leader, we need to respect everyone's wants and, and wishes uh, and make sure that fits into our plan as well. because. My plan for someone mightn't be their plan for themselves. And, you know, one of the things that we see a lot is that um, leaders actually don't put any expectation on what someone should achieve in a business. So there's actually no benchmark or measurement. So when we do diagnostics with businesses before we take them on as clients, we actually interview the staff. One of the questions that we ask is, how well do you think you're doing your job and what is the mechanism for you to actually know if you are or aren't doing your job? And you know what? 98% of people do not know if they're doing their job well. And that in itself, you know, that statistic is unbelievable. You know, like yeah. if you can just actually put some measurements in place to actually let people know if they're doing a good job. Um, you know, is an amazing way to actually get the best out of people and actually have a common ground as to what we call good. For a bloke in rehab, he knows his shit. I give it a tip like that. No, I, 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 you know, you really hit home there with me. That is true, right? So true. 
Again, I'm going to go to the elite sporting club, right, and glean best practice from there. You take an elite sporting team, and again, I'll play with Aussie rules, but it can be rugby, netball, whatever, any team sport. Game of footy's been played on a Saturday, right? At the end of the game, the next day, each player gets a copy of their video, right? And they get their video and they take it home. It's probably on a USB now, whatever. But they watch the video. And then on the Monday, they sit with the line coach and he says, Chanel, you should have been goal side of that guy. Yeah, I know. But what happens is the player is required to come and present to the line coach on areas that he did well and areas for improvement. And it's crystal clear in the footballer that she or he knows exactly what success looks like, exactly like what winning looks like. But we don't do it in our businesses, you know. And when we do, we only do the financial metrics, you know. In our business, we talk about productivity or number of new clients and you have the same thing in a legal practice and, or number of listings and, you know, all this sort of stuff. We don't talk about the, the stuff mm. that keeps the glue, that, that's the glue that keeps the business together. I think we're going to wrap it there if that's okay. I know, Rex, um, I lost you a little bit towards the end there. Um, <laughs> Rex, uh, you know, the 14-minute sort of attention span and he's out of there. Uh, and I'm frightened I'm going to get a bill for having a conversation with this bloke. He's outstanding on the timesheet. I'll give it a <laughs> No, he, he actually doesn't operate like that. Um, look, I'd like to thank all of you who managed to stay till the end. It was Look, it was a bit of fun. It was our first step, and we started at the, at the pillar or the base of our plan, which is our people. Um, our next episode, we're going to talk about something just as exciting, and that's new customers and how to grow the business. But until then, my name's Jason Cunningham. This young lady over, the, over here is Chanel. Rex, Australia's number one lawyer and Pete, the growth expert. Thanks for tuning in and having a bit of fun on the Real Estate Renovators.